Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to make worshiping with us part of your Christmas celebration. So grateful to have you with us. I want to welcome all of those who are worshiping out in Prescott Valley for our inaugural Prescott Valley Christmas Eve service. So, so grateful to have you guys. Yeah. Uh, if you're a newcomer with us, so glad that you're here. Uh, I'll be out in the lobby off to the left at our pastor's point and would love to connect with you. Uh, before you leave, and if you're in Prescott Valley, you can stop by Connection Central. Our staff would love to connect with you there as well. Uh, I want to begin by asking this simple question. How many of you had a baby join your family in the last year? Anybody? We got a new baby. How many of you all have any babies coming in the new year that you know of? Yeah, I see some really excited people over there. Yeah. Uh, if you, If either of those are true for you, if you've like had a baby in the last 18 months, two years, or have one coming, um, then you've probably experienced the stress and angst and secrecy of coming up with the baby's name, right? It's a big deal. Trying to figure out what we're going to call this thing. Right now, we have three staff families who are about to have babies, and so I've just heard of them talking about the pressure of giving this child a name, because the name matters, right? The name, it matters. When it comes to naming baby humans these days, we want to have something that's unique and something that's interesting, um, but not like celebrity unique, right? Because you've got to have a lot of money and a lot of ego to name your kid Gravity or North or Cosmo or Rumor. Or whatever this is. Like legit, this is the name of one of Elon Musk's offspring. You can't make that up. Like, how do you even say that? Turns out the uh, California uh, government would not let them have numbers in a child's name. So they had to turn this into Roman numerals. (laughs) But the name matters, right? There's so many filters. When you're thinking about naming your baby, there's so many filters that you got to run it through, right? Um, does it rhyme with any words that mean excrement? 
right? Because you know how it's going to go on the back of the bus if it does. Were there any weirdos in your past who had that name? Like you have some names that you like, but you would never name your child that because it reminds you of a crazy ex-girlfriend. You're like, no, it's out. I can't do that. Um, what nicknames might come with it? Like that's a big one you got to think through. Uh, would the initials spell something inappropriate? Right? These are things you've got to think through when you're trying to name your baby. There's a lot to think about. And so most of us, we finally, ultimately, you may get to think about what the name actually means, right? But here's the thing. Even if you base all of your baby naming on what does the name mean, it isn't like we can actually make that meaning come to pass on behalf of our children. In other words, you may name your child sage, but it doesn't mean they'll be smart, right? You can name your kid Chandler, but it doesn't mean that they're actually going to become a candle maker. That's what that name means, by the way. You can name your kid Christian, but it does not mean that they will actually follow Jesus. You can name your daughter Bella. Doesn't mean she's actually going to be beautiful, right? You don't get to, you don't get to pick that, right? For most of us, we can give names to our children that we have hope for them, but we really don't know if they will actually ever live up to their name. Only God can know for sure, which is why when God gives someone a name, we should pay attention. Because when God gives someone a name, that name is not just an identifier to separate them from another person. That name is their identity. It isn't just something they are to be called. The name actually reflects their calling. And nowhere do we see this more plainly than we do with this, this baby born on Christmas. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Matthew chapter 1. If you have ever gone to the Prescott lighting of the uh, courthouse square, or if you've ever gone to a child's Christmas pageant, or you ever watched the Peanuts Christmas movie, then you've probably heard the Christmas story as told through Luke chapter 2. So that's the one that most of us are most familiar with. And in Luke chapter 2, Mary is the main character in the story. Her story actually is told in both chapter 1 and in chapter 2, but Matthew goes in a different direction. In Matthew... Mary is kind of like the supporting cast. It's not as if she's not important, but her, her story is not prominent. We don't hear about the conversation to whereby she became the mother of God. Instead, Matthew chooses to focus on how Joseph was called to be the adopted father of this baby who was God. And in doing so, Joseph actually puts the name of this baby front and center, makes a big deal out of it. Not just this name, there's actually a name and three titles that are given to this baby in Matthew chapter one. And because of these names and because of these titles that were given to Joseph by God, they aren't just identifiers for us, but they reveal to us his identity. And my hope tonight is that as we hear them again, some of you for the first time, some of you for the thousandth time, 
My hope is that it will remind us of why the birth of this baby is worth celebrating. Let me pray as we dive in. Father, we are grateful for a chance to come together tonight to sing some songs and joy, friends and family, and to be in your word. And I pray that as, as we look at your word again, that you would use it to speak to our hearts, to awaken in us worship for this child that we celebrate. And it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So he's telling us the story he's about to tell us. And it's the story of the birth of Jesus. He gives us the name right out of the block because he knows we already know it. But we're going to skip that one for a second because we'll know why he calls him Jesus in just a few minutes. But for now, I want us to focus on this title right here. It's Jesus the Messiah. In fact, some of your Bibles don't even say the Messiah. Some of yours, it just says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And the reason is because in the Hebrew, it's Messiah. In the Greek, it's Christos. But they're both a title that, that are pointing to the same person, means the same thing. It means the, the anointed one or the chosen one. So what both of them are a title. When we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. Okay, it's a title and the title is the chosen one or the anointed one. And this chosen one was someone that the people of Israel had been waiting for for a really long time. He was promised to come. In fact, it goes all the way back to the prophet Isaiah. God said to the the prophet Isaiah, here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and will bring justice to the nations. They've been waiting and waiting hundreds of years for this chosen one to be revealed. And what Matthew says in chapter one is, this is him. This is him. This Jesus is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. And what's he chosen to do? Well, according to Isaiah 42, he is going to bring justice to the nations. Somewhere along the way, many of the Jewish leaders neglected the fact that this had an S on the end of it because they thought the Messiah was only for their nation. He was chosen and appointed and anointed just for them. But this Christos, this Messiah, had a much greater, grander calling than any one group of people. So Matthew begins right out of the block and says, this Jesus that you know, you need to know he is the Messiah, the chosen one who is to come. That's just the beginning. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we do have to have just a little bit of background to understand Jewish uh, weddings to get what this text is teaching us. Um, In ancient Jewish culture, relationships were binding long before a ceremony occurred. Families would agree, our son is going to marry your daughter. And they would come to an agreement, and they would pick these children for each other, and the groom or the groom's family would pay a bride price. And that means this bride is now set aside for her husband. And this would happen long before a ceremony would happen. It could last up to a year. It was called a betrothal period. But it was a legal binding agreement at that point. The the the, the paper signed, the, the pledge has been paid. She belongs to him, he belongs to her. 
Now, he would then leave and go off and prepare a place for her, build a home likely on his father's house, build a room for the family, and then he would eventually come back to get her, and they would have the ceremony, they'd consummate the marriage and live happily ever after, okay? So, that's where Mary and Joseph are. They're in that betrothal period. They are pledged to be married, the deal is struck, the bride price is paid, they Families have agreed, but they have not yet come together. There's been no ceremony, and they've not consummated the marriage. So that, but they are bound together nonetheless. And the only way to break these two apart would be through a divorce. Now, the wrench gets thrown into a mix, into the mix, because Mary is found to be pregnant. Like even in her Middle Eastern garb, there's no hiding it anymore. She sees it, he sees it, everybody sees it. She's found to be pregnant. And Joseph knows this baby's not his because they have not come together yet. And Mary tells him, ah, it's from the Holy Spirit. But that's what they all say, right? Joseph isn't buying it, okay? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So there are some options from Joseph's viewpoint. And the option are she's either been sexually assaulted or she has been seduced in some way or she has just been unfaithful. But in any case, in a shame-honor culture, the only thing that she can bring to his name is shame because this baby is not his. And so as the offended party, he has the right to expose her, to take this news public, to find out exactly what happened that got her into this situation and have her punished accordingly. But he doesn't want to do that. He cares for her. He doesn't want to put her through that, and so he opts for a quiet divorce, which would have meant a certificate of divorce in the presence of a few witnesses where he would say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And the relationship would then be severed, and he could go on his merry way. And that was his plan. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph has made up his mind, and he is sleeping peacefully on his decision. And an angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream, and I want you to notice how the angel refers to him. He calls him Joseph, son of David. Now, that doesn't mean much to many of us, but this is a huge deal. In fact, in all of the New Testament, this is the only person, Joseph is the only person outside of Jesus himself who is ever called the son of David. Like, this is Jesus' title. Jesus is the son of David. Where did he get that name? He actually got it from his adopted father. So, the son of David means the son of King David. King David was the pinnacle king of all of Israel. And he was promised 
that he would have a son sit on his throne. In fact, God gave this promise to David about a thousand years before Joseph came on the scene. God said to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and I will be his father, and he will be my son. So God had made this promise to David a thousand years before, and the Israelites were longing and waiting and praying and hoping for this promise to come to pass, a day when they would have one of their own back on the throne, one of, the, one of their own who were ruling their nation once again, instead of being ruled by the evil Roman Gentile king. David's reign was the height of the, the Israelite power the nation of Israel, and they longed for that day to come again, for David's offspring to come and to take his place on the throne. And what Matthew tells us is that this child who was born to the house of Joseph, the son of David, would be the son of David that everybody was waiting for. This baby wasn't just a baby. This baby was the eternal king the very son of God. And the Lord tells Joseph in the dream, take her as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Those words are significant. What's conceived in her? Mary was a virgin. When she conceived, what she conceived and how she conceived was outside of the realm of how children are conceived. Scripture puts it this way. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Like literally the word of God was spoken and what God spoke literally grew as flesh in the womb. Mary, the word became flesh. And then, and then God gives David the name. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name, Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph was to give the name Jesus. Now, chances are, Joseph didn't hear the name Jesus. That's an English-Americanized version of what he likely heard. He likely heard something more akin to Yeshua. You are to give him the name Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. You are to give him the name Yahweh saves because he will save his people from their sins. And Joseph did not get to pick the name. And Mary did not get to pick the name. They were given this name. They were told what to name this child because this name was not just about how to identify the child. This name reveals the identity of this child. He wasn't just coming as the king. He was coming as the savior because Yahweh saves, which again, that would not, that idea was 
was something that Jewish people were looking for. They were waiting for a savior, waiting for somebody to come along and to build an army and to overthrow the Romans and reestablish their nation. They were waiting for that. But this angel makes it clear he's not that kind of savior. That's not what he's here for. He has come to save his people from their sins. He's come to save from sin. Which no doubt, if you were one of the religious people in that day and you hear this story, you're thinking, well, I mean, that sounds good, but we don't, it's not really a high felt need for us to be saved from our sins. Frankly, we've got a system for that. Like we've got systems for that. Like we've got offerings that we bring. We've got sacrifices that we offer. We've got this whole temple complex in place. There are priests we go to and we say the thing and we pay the thing. We bring the thing and they sprinkle blood all over everything and they do the thing and the day of atonement and there's a goat and that thing. Like we've got a system for dealing with sin. So of all the things, that's just not a felt need for us. We have a system for that. But what they were missing was that system was never, ever meant to take away their sin. It could never, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. All of that system was actually meant to point them to this day when Yahshua saves. When Yahweh saves, shows up on the scene, they would be able to recognize it. When when all of those sacrifices are made year after year, it was, a, it was to help point to the day when this sacrifice would be made. When that scapegoat was given on the Day of Atonement, it was to help them recognize this scapegoat who would take all of their sin on himself. The temple was only a copy of the heavenly temple that was to come. The priests who stood before the Lord were only a foreshadowing of this real priest who stands before the Lord right now the unblemished lamb that they were to bring and to offer at at Passover was a picture of this unblemished lamb who offered himself at Passover. The system didn't save people from their sin. It pointed them to how they would be saved. And his name is Yeshua. Because Yahweh saves. And he saves from the one thing that no one else can save from. He saves people from their sin. Now, here's what I also know. There's a lot of us in here, in Prescott Valley, in your living room, and we kind of feel a little bit like they do. That's just not a real felt need. Be saved from my sin. Because we got a system for that too. You know what that system is? I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I don't really need to be saved from my sins. I'm a I'm a good person. That's our system. And it doesn't really matter how good as long as I'm not as bad. There's a system in place. And as long as I'm not as bad as them, then I'm good enough. I'm a good person. And how do we determine that we're good? Well, well, I'm inclusive. I don't, I don't think bad of anybody. Whatever people want to do, I'm all for it. I'm inclusive. And I vote the right way. There are people who don't vote the right way, but I'm not one of them. I'm a good person. I share the right post on Instagram and I, I care about climate change and I cancel people who don't think like us. And I'm not just not racist. I'm actually anti-racist because I'm a good person and I give the to toys and t- for tots and I, and I put 
money into Salvation Army and I believe the right stuff. I don't believe the wrong stuff. You know why? Because I'm a good person. That's how I know it's the right stuff. I may not do the right stuff, but I at least believe the right stuff. And that's good enough. We're good people. I'm a good person. Just ask me. And because we're good people, we don't really have a big felt need to be saved from our sins. We we just don't feel it. But the reality is there's actually nothing you need more than to be saved from your sin. There's nothing we need more than a Savior for our sin. Don't miss this. Like a counselor may save your marriage. Recycling may save the planet. Chemo may save you from cancer. A good financial advisor may save you from bankruptcy. A healthy diet may save you from heart disease. You can draft an army to save you from an invasion. An airbag may save you in a crash. A petition may save the Dells. A garden can save you from starvation. A lifeguard can save you from drowning. Vitamins may save your eyesight. A CPA may save you from taxes. A politician can save you from nothing. Like there are lots of people who can save you from lots of things, but there is no one else who can save you from your sins. There is no one else who has the ability to do that because they all have sin of their own that they have to deal with. But then we meet one whose very name is Yahweh saves. And because he has no sin, he's able to save us from our sin. And this name isn't just about who he is. It's about what he does. He saves his people from their sin. He saves them from the most important thing they need saving from. The one thing that no one can save themselves from. And so the angel tells Joseph, name him Yeshua. Because he will save his people. From their All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Here's the fourth title given to us, name in this text. He'll be called Emmanuel. And the reason he's called Emmanuel is because when he saves, When he saves his people from their sin, he does not save from a distance. He does not save from sin, from outside of the effects of sin. Instead, he joins the fray. He saves from sin by enduring all of the effects of sin. He endured all of the hurt and all of the pain. He endured the broken relationships and the broken body. He experienced loss. He experienced loneliness. He experienced betrayal and abandonment. He experienced tears at a grave and tears in the garden. He wept for hurting friends and he wept over a lost city. He was mocked and beaten and ridiculed and shunned. He mourned with mothers who were burying their children. He got angry with people when they abused others. He was lied about and he was lied to. 
He was rejected by his family, repudiated by the crowds. He loved people when they didn't reciprocate. He graciously gave to those who were ungrateful. And he was dumped when he didn't give people what they wanted. He experienced his prayer requests, heartfelt cries being denied by his father. And he experienced his own God and father seemingly abandoning him when he cried out in his greatest time of need. Like everything that we have experienced because of sin in the world, Jesus experienced without enduring Without, without experiencing any sin of his own. He did not choose to save us from afar. Instead, he saved us from sin by enduring all sin on our behalf. Because he isn't just God. He is God with us. He's with us. He joined the fray. Matthew's version of Christmas night. Pretty simple. It goes like this. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son. Like that's all of the Christmas night story right there. And he gave him the name. Jesus. And Joseph gave him the name Jesus. Both Mary and Joseph were given the name. Call him Jesus. But it was Joseph who gave the name. And in that moment when Joseph gave him the name Jesus, that was Joseph declaring, this son is mine. That was Joseph adopting and taking responsibility for this son to raise him as his own. By putting his stamp, he named this boy. And this boy is now his. And again, the name matters. This is the most important part of the story of of the birth narrative for, for Joseph is that he gave him the name Jesus. That's the most important part for Joseph. Because the name matters. Because this baby was the promised one. The Messiah who was to come. This baby was the king. The very son of David who was promised an eternal throne. This baby was the savior. Yeshua. Yahweh saves. That's his name. This baby was Emmanuel. God with us. And everything that he was, he still is. He is still the Messiah. He is still the eternal King. He is still the one who saves people from their sin. And He is still with us. Through the power of His Spirit. We're going to move into a time of communion. So I want to invite the ushers to go ahead and start passing out our elements. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, we want to invite you to grab there's two cups there in the tray grab them both the top cup there'll be some juice the bottom cup there's some unleavened bread and again for those who are followers of Jesus they are for us a reminder of the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus 
If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, feel free to just let the tray pass on by. As you are ripping open your presents and pulling down the stockings over the next couple of days, I want you to remember this gift. The gift that God has sent. Because here's the thing. As much as we love Christmas and we love to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus, a baby in a manger means nothing until a Savior dies on a cross. Like it means nothing until there's a death and burial and resurrection. Like when we talk about that Jesus came to save people from their sin, we have to remember how he saves people from their sin. He didn't save us from our sins simply by being born in a manger. That's not how it happened. He saved us from our sin by going to the cross and taking on our sin and dying in our place. That's how he saved us. And so we, each week here at Quad City, we take these elements as a reminder, not just that Jesus came to save, but how Jesus came to save. That all of our sin was placed on him. And that he willingly laid down his life for us. Yahweh went to the cross. Yeshua, Yahweh saves, died in our place. And so in the midst of all of the celebrating, let's make sure that we celebrate the most important part. That he is the Messiah. The King, the Savior, and He's with us. And all of that's true because He came, and He lived, and He died, and He rose again, and He's coming back. And all of that is summed up in this moment. So tonight, I'm going to invite us to take it all together. If you have somebody that you came with, snuggle in close, grab a hand, put an arm, lean in. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we are grateful that you sent your son not just to be born in a manger, but to die on a cross. So that we could be saved from our sin. That was the whole point. Yahweh saves. Not from a distance. But by joining the fray. And you experienced all of our sins. So that we could experience all of your righteousness. And I pray that over the next 24, 48 hours. As we share in this Christmas celebration. That we will remember the greatest gift of all. Jesus laid down his life for me. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.
Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.